My name is Blake Bridges. I get to serve on the hospitality team and on the usher team. Um, I grew up at a small Baptist church in Orangefield, Texas. Um, I met Jesus when I was about 11 years old. I was baptized and went to a very small youth group. Started to go on mission trips. I went to Honduras and I did all these things and this was even before I was a senior in high school. And so my senior year rolled around. I was very on fire for the Lord and um, tragedy struck. Um, I lost three really good friends in a car accident and one of them was my best friend in the world. His name was Gray. They were drinking and driving and had a head-on collision with another drunk driver, which completely turned my world upside down. I completely fell off. I didn't really know who or what I was or what my plan for my life was. And so I just went off the deep end and decided that I would just start filling that hole in my chest with whatever I could find. So fast forward about 10 years, and me and a buddy decided that we were gonna come to a 5.30 service at Redemption. And the only reason was because of Ethan Berwick being so involved here. Um, he had invited us a few times, and so we decided to come. And um, I hadn't felt conviction like that in my heart in, in years. I hadn't turned to face God in years, and I was so scared. Um, but I think the reason that I had ran for so long was because I knew that my life would change the moment that I stepped back into the doors of a church, and I just kept showing up. And um, today, I live a much different life. I, I am saved by God, and my idea of God is not skewed anymore. I remember sitting at the altar a few weeks after my first visit, just weeping, because I realized all that God had given to me, and all the things that I had pushed away, and all the people I had pushed away, and all the things that I had allowed the enemy to take from me. I love my church family, and I have a new relationship with God that is refining me every day. I'm three years clean off of pills and hard drugs, and every Sunday I get to be surrounded by my friends and family. So how many of you know who Rob Kenny is? Anybody know who Rob Kenny is? You may not be familiar with his name, but you might be familiar with his YouTube channel. Dad, how do I? Anybody ever heard of that YouTube channel? It's probably one of the most viral sensations that is happening right now. His YouTube channel grew from just a handful of people to over 2 million subscribers in just a matter of months. And here's his entire shtick. It's nothing but simple how-to videos for people like you and me who grew up but never learned how to adult. That's all he does is, Dad, how do I fill in the blank? He came up with the idea because his 27-year-old daughter every day would call him and say, Dad, how do I? And then he would teach her how to do ordinary, everyday things. 
And one day he was joking with her and said, you know, if I started a YouTube video teaching people how to do these things, I could be a millionaire. And guess what? That's exactly what happened. He started a basic YouTube channel called Dad, How Do I?, where he's teaching young adults how to do ordinary things that we didn't learn growing up. And as his YouTube channel has continued to grow, he gets a lot of messages from different people, and he recognized that there was a great need because there's a lot of us who grew up without having a father teach us how to do the basic, ordinary, everyday things that are required for us to, to live our life. And some of his most viral videos are really simple. Like one is, Dad, how do I shave? And it's just him for three minutes with the iPhone teaching people how to shave. Another video is, Dad, how do I make popcorn? Dad, how do I change a tire? How do I change my oil? How do I use a weed eater? One is, Dad, how do I use a stud finder? And for those of you who are under the age of 30, no, that is not a dating app. <laughs> stud finder. It's like you get the stud finder, you're like, oh yeah, stud finder right there. Just kidding. The sermon will get better, and I will improve. The Holy Spirit's going to show up any moment now, and we're going we're gonna to make our way through this, all right? But it's just basic videos teaching people how to do normal things. And here's what I've discovered, is that most people, they want to be able to do these things. They just don't know how to do these things. See, for most people, if you're taking notes, write this down. It's going to be a thought that guides our service today. And if you're new to redemption, we are a note-taking church. And so pull out your note sheet, fill in the blanks. Here's the first thing that I want to let you know is this, is that most people have the want to, they just don't have the how to. All right, most people want to be able to do these things. They just don't know how to do many of these things. And what is true for us practically is also true for us many times spiritually. As a pastor, here's what I've discovered, is that spiritually, most people want to grow in their faith. The problem is, is most people don't know how to grow in your faith. The reason you're here at Redemption this morning on a Sunday morning, when you could be anywhere else doing anything else. You could be out at Luke's having brunch. You could be staying home and watching the Pro Bowl. You could be doing anything, driving, running errands, buying groceries. You could be doing anything other than here at church today, but yet you made a decision this morning to wake up, to pound the coffee, to wipe the crust out of your eyes, to find the kid's shoe for 30 minutes, looking around, getting your kiddos dressed, getting a fight with your spouse, driving downtown and walking in with a smile on your face. You could have been doing anything other than coming to church today, but yet you made the decision to come to church today. Why did you make that decision? I believe it's because you want to grow in your faith, but I also know that many of us, we struggle with the how to grow in our faith. So let me give you a few examples. How many of you, you want to be a theologian and know all the big fancy college words? How many of you want to do that? You want to learn and study your Bible and be able to quote verses, but yet you don't know how to read your Bible. How many of you struggle when it comes to, to reading the scriptures? How many of you want to be a prayer warrior, interceder, tongue-talking, prayer-walking, man of faith, but yet you don't know how to actually pray. 
How many of you want to be a lean, mean, soul-winning machine? You want to testify, share your testimony. You want to lead not just one person to Jesus this year. You want to lead 5, 10, 100 people to faith in Jesus this year. But you don't know how to share your faith. How many of you, it's not the want to, it's the how to that we struggle with. Most people, it's not the want to. For most people, what they struggle with is the how to. And the Apostle Paul, he's going to address that today. The same way that, that, that he has a YouTube channel called Dad, How Do I? This sermon could be titled, Paul, How Do I? Paul, how do I grow in my faith? If you have your Bible, we're continuing our study through the book of Colossians. We're in Colossians chapter two, starting in verse six. And the apostle Paul is gonna give us three steps to spiritual growth. He's gonna give us three ways for us to grow in our faith. And the first way that he says it is this. The first thing you must do in order to grow in your faith, number one, is to receive Jesus. This is where it all starts. If you wanna grow in your faith, it starts by you receiving Jesus. This is the beginning point of the Christian faith and your journey to spiritual growth starts with you receiving Jesus Christ. Look what he says here in verse six. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught and abounding in thanksgiving. Let's just pause right there and zero in on this word right here. He says, therefore, as you have received, that's the good news of Jesus. The good news is, is that you don't earn it, that you don't work for it, that it doesn't matter who you are, where you're at, what you've done, how far you run, who your mama is or where you come from. It's a free gift that is given by Jesus and it is received by us. The first step is simply for you to receive Jesus as what? As Christ Jesus the Lord. That word Christ is not Jesus' last name. It's a title. It means that he is our Messiah. He is the anointed king over all the universe and our life. Jesus is an Old Testament derivative of the name Yeshua, which is Joshua, which means the deliverer who saves. That Jesus delivers us from our sin and he saves us into new life. And then he is our Lord. He is our master. He is our boss. He is our leader. And so he is our king. Have you received Jesus as your king? Have you received Jesus as your savior? Have you received Jesus as the one that we trust, believe, and we follow. This is the first step in your spiritual growth, is to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord, Savior, and your King. The theme of this entire series that we've been studying in Colossians is everyday saints. It's what Paul's been building up to up until this point. That's why the first word in Colossians 2.6 is, therefore, and anytime you see that word, therefore, you always have to ask, what is the therefore, therefore? And so he's been building to this whole crescendo of teaching us who we are because of who Jesus is. Now, here's your new identity in Christ. Once you've received Jesus, what's your identity? You're a saint. You're no longer defined by your sin. You are defined by what Jesus says about you. That word saint, it means holy, set apart, blameless, righteous, beloved. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. That's your new identity. Your identity is that of a saint. Now, how many of you grew up in maybe a high church, maybe a Catholic, maybe a more liturgical church tradition, maybe Presbyterian, Methodist, or Lutheran, some, some of those different traditions? If you grew up in that tradition, then you probably heard a lot about saints. 
And you almost get this impression like the saints are superheroes, like they're unattainable. That's a a status of Christianity that I will never be able to reach. It's almost like, you know, the black metal card that you get from Amex. You're like, I can't ever reach that credit limit when it comes to my budget. Amen. It's almost like the saints, like it's impossible for me to be a saint. For most of us, it is. Because here's the tradition of becoming a saint in these religious backgrounds. There's several dozen steps, but I'll try to synthesize it in a way that we can understand. The the first step, how many of you want to be a saint? You want to be a saint? Here's how you become a saint. The first step is you got to be Catholic. My hand's down. Okay, I will never be a saint because I'm not Catholic. So I'm out. The second step is you got to die. Okay, again, we're not saints because you're all here in this room safe and sound, all right? So first step is to be Catholic. Second step is to be dead. And then the third step to sainthood is after you die, there must be a local devotion that rises up in your honor. Following that, people will begin to pray to you or revere you, and you have to, on the other side of the grave, post-mortem, perform a miracle. If you perform a miracle from the grave, then you would think that's enough. That sounds pretty incredible, right? No, it's not enough. Because then they send someone from the Vatican and they investigate that miracle. And if they investigate that miracle and they determine it is real and true, you're still not a saint. You're just, you're just verified. And then after that, more people start praying to you and you perform another postmortem miracle. Now you're a saint. Nope. They bring another guy from the Vatican to investigate, and if he says you did a post-mortem miracle, you're still not a saint, you're called blessed. But if you do it again, if you perform another miracle on the other side of the grave, then another guy from the Vatican comes out, investigates, and if he says it is true, then all of a sudden, bazinga, shazam, boom, shakalaka, you're a saint. You're a saint. You know what that means? That means now you get a festival named after you. You get a holiday named after you. You get a school or a hospital named after you. And you get your face on a candle at H-E-B. Okay, that's, that's what happens when you become a saint. Now, if you ever do that, kudos to you. But for the rest of us, seems a little impossible, doesn't it? And so many of us, we grew up thinking, I will never be a saint. But that's not what the Bible says. How do you become a saint? Paul says there's one way that you become a saint. You receive Jesus. If you receive Jesus, good news is you're a saint. That your new identity is that of saints. You are no longer defined by your sin. You are defined by Jesus. And here's what Jesus says. He says, you are a saint, holy, righteous, beloved, a son and a daughter, a brother and sister in Christ. That is your new identity. You are a saint. And it doesn't matter what you've done. The only thing that matters is what Christ has done for you. That you don't earn it. You don't deserve it. You can't lose it. It's there for you because Jesus gives it to you freely. Listen to me. Your identity does not come from your performance, but rather it comes from a person. And his name is Jesus. Jesus Christ. He completed the finished work on the cross. And so now there is no more work for you to do to earn that salvation. 
That Jesus on the cross, he lives the perfect life that we could never live, dies the painful death in our place, the death because of our sins. And through his death, burial, and resurrection, he gives us a new destiny, a new eternity. He gives the church, which is a new community. And then he grants to you the blessing of a new identity. And he declares you as saints. Your identity does not come from your performance. Your identity, it stems from a person. And here's how you live out that new identity. Number one, you receive Jesus as your Christ, your Lord, and your Savior. The first step in spiritual growth is receiving Jesus. Have you received Jesus? Have you trusted in Jesus? Have you given your life and your sin over to Jesus and received the new identity that Jesus speaks over you? Number one, you receive Jesus. So what happens after you receive Jesus? So today, you're gonna make that decision to follow him. You're gonna text a number. You're gonna get a phone call from one of our team members. You're gonna join Next Steps. You're gonna get a Bible. We're gonna reach out to you. We're gonna plug you into a new believer small group. You've received Jesus. Does that mean that there's nothing else that you have to do for the rest of your life? You bowed your head, you prayed the prayer. Now I guess everything's good. I can go back to doing whatever I want, whenever I want, with whomever I want. No, because the second step is that you remain in Jesus. What we say here is life change through Jesus doesn't stop the moment you meet him. It's that it continues until on the other side of heaven when you see him face to face. That's life change through Jesus. So number one, we receive Jesus. Number two is we remain in Jesus. Look what he says as we continue reading. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so what are we gonna do? We're gonna walk in him. That is a daily decision to continue to walk in him, to be rooted to be built up in him, to be established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy, empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So Paul, he's transitioning here. He's saying, number one, receive Jesus, but make sure that you remain in Jesus. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy, by empty deceits, by human tradition or elemental spirits of the world that are not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness and deity and body dwells, and you have been filled with him who is the head of all rule and authority. Now, there's something that I, I want to say right here. We're in week five of our study through the book of Colossians. And if you're new to redemption, our favorite way to study the Bible is to go straight through books of the Bible. And so here at Redemption, I believe that Colossians is the 11th book that we have taught here as a church. On first Wednesdays, we're walking through the book of Psalms. So that's a 11 books in five years that we've taught here at church. It's my favorite thing. Open up the Bible and just say what the Bible says. And as we're growing as a church, what I, I, I want to do is I want to be able to present the word to you, but... Unfortunately, we don't have time to go line by line super slow and unpack the meaning of every single word that is in a text. Now, for those who've been around for a while, you know I really want to, right? I mean, we spent three years in the book of Mark, right? We were in Mark chapter 13, the Olivet Discourse, where Jesus is talking about his second coming, and we were going so slow, I thought Jesus was going to come back before I finished the book. <laughs> it, was, it was a long time. But you know what we did during that, that season? Here's what we did. We did what Paul said, that we would be rooted, that we'd be built up, 
And our church was established in the faith about who Jesus is because of that. But we don't have time to take three years teaching through the book of Colossians. And so we're going really fast. And so there's a lot of things that I would really, really love to say, but I just don't have the time to because there's a timer in the back and my time is limited. But at the same time, this is also why we have small groups. Because it's in small groups, you'll be able to open it up You'll be able to study Colossians and you'll be able to ask questions and you'll be able to engage in dialogue and have conversations around a meal with other friends and people in the church who will encourage you in your faith. And so that is a shameless plug for small groups because small groups kick off in just a few weeks, all right? So get in, get in a small group. But there is something that I do wanna spend uh, a good portion of our time discussing today and it's, it's this verse right here not only to receive him, but to remain in him. It's, it's this verse right here. Verse eight, see to it that no one takes you captive. That is military language. It's a prisoner of war. It's a, it's a captive. It's somebody who's being held hostage, taken away. See to it that no one holds you captive by philosophy, empty deceit, human tradition, and elemental spirits. What he's saying is that it is possible for some person to receive Jesus and then along the way, fall away and no longer remain in Jesus. So he's saying you need to guard your heart. You need to protect yourself. You need to be vigilant and on guard to make sure that you are remaining in Jesus. What Paul is addressing here in the church at Colossae is what theologians call the Colossian Controversy. Some of you wonder, well, Byron, what is the Colossian controversy? Well, many authors and theologians and scholars have written over what they believe, but they all disagree with each other. And the reality is, is Paul never addresses what this controversy is in his book. Now, other books, he does address the controversy that is happening. So in the book of Galatians, he addresses legalism. In the book of First and second Corinthians, he addresses liberalism, where people are taking advantage of the liberties they received in Jesus, and they're acting in ways that are not according to scriptures and to conscience. In first and second Thessalonians, he calls out false teachers, false doctrine. He calls out wolves who are in sheep clothing, who are leading other Christians astray. But when it comes to the book of Colossians, he warns about this controversy, but he never tells us what that controversy is. And many of us, what we want to know is we just want to jump to whatever it is. Just, Paul, tell us what the controversy is. So that way we can address it, fix it, and we can move on to the next thing. But Paul doesn't tell us what that is. And here's why I think he doesn't tell us. It's because he's not teaching us just what to believe. He wants to teach us how to believe. You know, there's a difference, right? Colleges used to teach you how to believe. But that's not the case anymore. Schools now, they don't just teach you what to believe or what to think. They're not teaching you how to think. Rather, they're teaching you what to think. The Bible comes along, and it's not teaching us necessarily what to believe, but he's trying to challenge our hearts and minds to show us how we believe. And so I think that Paul is addressing it because he wants people to know how to believe. The second reason is this. It's because every generation has to learn how to deal with their own controversy for themselves. Because every generation comes new ideas and new philosophies and new ways for people to be deceived. And it all stems from this word, elemental spirits. You wonder, what is that? That's a demon. 
It's demonically empowered and inspired, and it sweeps across entire generations, and it takes them captive. For them, there was a controversy when it comes to their church, but in the church, there's always controversy. Have you ever just wondered how all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this idea just takes over and sweeps across the entire nation, and all of a sudden, everybody's posting hashtags and everything's going viral. And every time you sit down with your family, you can never agree on anything. And then all of a sudden you begin to judge others. 2020 was this, right? right. This is all what 2020 was, is that we had mask versus no mask. We had Republicans versus Democrats. And the whole conversation exploded through social media. And then we begin to judge and begin to harm and we begin to separate. And there was no more unity within the church. Why is that? Well, because people were being held captive by philosophies, by empty deceits. People were being held captive by elemental principles and spirits because it was not according to Christ. Listen, anything that takes your eyes off of Jesus is not of God. And Satan doesn't care if you're a Republican or a Democrat, you wear a mask or you don't wear a mask, you took the jab or you did it. As long as he can get your eyes off of Jesus, he's got you right where he wants you because you will remain and you will no longer remain in Christ. And so he's telling us, hey, I don't just want you to know what to think, but I do want to teach you how to think so that way you're able to remain in the faith. Every generation must be able to discover the controversy and defend the faith for themselves. And so what is the controversy that we're dealing with today? Every generation, it changes. In the 1700s, 1800s, the, the, the debate was around enlightenment. And then in the 1900s, it became, does the supernatural exist? Are miracles real? People don't believe in virgin births and resurrection because we live in a closed universe. Those things are not reality. And so they would reject scripture based upon that. In the 50s, 60s, and 70s, it became liberalism. How do we interpret the Bible? What is the lens that we view it through? And then in the 90s and the 2000s, for a brief moment, everybody became atheists and they realized that was dumb. And then they became universalists. That it's all, all religions are the same thing and everybody goes to heaven because God is love. But we wonder, what is the new controversy that we're experiencing today? And I believe after some research and some study and much prayer and talking with different pastors, I, I believe that this week I discovered what the controversy that the church in America is going to be facing over the next decade. And here's what that term is. You ready? It's this word deconstruction. That will be the new battleground for the church wow. around the topic of deconstruction. For those of you who don't know who or what that term is, it comes from a 1960s French philosopher. He was a literary critic, and his whole goal was to dismantle previously held religious beliefs. That's where deconstruction started from, and it's begun to take off, and it's been swept up, this philosophy within the evangelical world, to where now many people, young adults who are raised in church, are now dismantling previously held beliefs. They're calling it deconstruction. And you're seeing it in a lot of famous bloggers, pastors, authors. They're beginning to 
deconstruct, and many of them are beginning to depart from the Christian faith altogether. So there's pastors who are renouncing their faith, worship leaders who are renouncing their faith, and they have platforms on social media, Twitter, TikTok, to where they can share their deconversion testimonies about their deconstruction, and it's emboldening and empowering those who are not strong or weak in their faith, who have questions and doubts, because the church is not creating a safe place for people to process their doubts. They're processing them alone, watching TikTok and YouTube, and all of a sudden, what started as deconstruction, my fear, is leading people towards deconversion. Now listen, there's some parts of deconstruction that are actually good. There's some parts that I would commend you on. What is that part? If there is anything that is wrapped up in your beliefs that is not presented in the gospel, then you need to remove those things from your beliefs. So for example, if your identity as Christian also requires you to be a Republican or a Democrat, you need to deconstruct that. If your view of Jesus is that he was rich and the prosperity theology and these things where God wants you to be X, Y, and Z, then you need to remove that. If your view is that it's Jesus plus speaking in tongues, you need to remove that. If it's Jesus plus wearing certain clothes, you need to remove those things because Jesus plus anything ruins everything. Jesus alone is the way that we are saved. And so if there's anything that's been added to it, hatred, racism, bigotry, idolatry, greed, any of those things, please, by all means, remove those things from your belief structures because Jesus and Jesus alone is enough. But my fear is for many, deconstruction is nothing more than a path towards deconversion. And so remember a few weeks ago in our sermon series where I pulled out the discipleship pathway and I showed you what, what, what discipleship looks like at Redemption. I, I drew that. It's on that how to love your church sermon. Right? Remember that when I drew it out? Okay, what I'm going to do for you in just a moment is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to draw out a, not a discipleship program, but a discipleship program that leads towards deconversion. It's the journey of deconstruction by, by what I by what I see it. Now listen, I'm not a, a theologian. I'm not an academic. I'm just a pastor who loves you. And I know that there are many people in our church who are journeying down this path as well. And I just want to be able to be a help to you. See, listen, if you're deconstructing or you have doubts and you're questioning, listen, I don't blame you. Okay, because there's some things when you read the Bible, just, just so you know, it's a little weird. It's just a little weird, okay? Like a guy got swallowed by a fish, spit out. That's weird, okay? A virgin had a baby. That's weird. Jesus rose from the dead. That's weird. Okay, listen, there's some things that are questioning, right? right? There's some things that we must wrestle with when it comes to our, our faith. If you're deconstructing, listen, I do not blame you. I do think that you're going to be held accountable on judgment day. I do believe that you're going to stand before the living and holy God, and you're going to have to give an account for your life, and there's not going to be anybody who's standing beside you on judgment day. You're going to have to give that account for yourself to determine whether or not you're going to spend eternity with Jesus in heaven or apart from him in hell. You're all going to have to figure that out on your own. But for those of you who are deconstructed, listen, I love you, and I don't lay the blame at your feet because people are products of their instruction. And so... Who would I lay the blame? I don't like playing the blame game, but I do like taking responsibility. And if I were to take responsibility, I would say it would have to be the church of the 1990s and the 2000s because it's this generation who was raised in that church who are now beginning to question everything they were taught. So why is that? 
Because for many of us who grew up, we were told that church was a, a place that you go, but we weren't taught that it was something that we are. For many of us, we were raised believing that church is for entertainment and it's not for equipping and empowerment. For many of us, what we saw on the stage was a performance, but we didn't experience God's presence. For many of us, we were told you need to have 20 minutes of quiet time in the morning, but we were never taught how to do that. We were told we need to memorize scripture, but we were never taught how to actually read scripture for ourselves. We were, we were shown that the most important thing is to have a packed house on Sunday but we weren't told what it meant to lay down in the altars after service and intercede and to experience the fullness of the Holy Spirit. For many of us, we were told to love your neighbor, but we went home and we didn't see our parents model it in front of us. And so the moment that our faith began tested, we realized we did not have a faith that could be trusted. And so normally in this moment, what I would say to young Christians and young believers is I would say this, if you don't know what to believe, then you will believe anything. But I don't think that fits in this conversation. I would rephrase it like this. If you don't know how to believe, then you will question everything. This is a part of my story. When I was 15, 16 years old in the church, I had questions, doubts. I made a list and I brought them to my youth pastor. And I said it before my youth pastor said, hey, I'm struggling with this. And I made a list of things. Is the Bible real? Is Jesus the only way? But I even had other questions that kids wrestle with, talking about sex and are aliens real? <laughs> and he looked at it and wadded it up and he threw it away and said, I don't have time to answer these questions. For me, that was the moment I stopped believing in God and never went back. Because there was no one there to help me process these questions as a young person. And I want to see our church be a place where we can process these questions and we can have conversations and it's big enough for our doubts and we can pursue and remain in Jesus together even when we're hurting and struggling. And so for many of us, we were taught what to believe, but we weren't taught how to believe. And because of that, we're at a place in our Christian walk where now we question everything that we've ever believed. And so I want to help. I, I want to help you. And so here, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to show you just six paths of deconstruction, the, the dangers that come along with it. And it doesn't start off very nefarious. It actually starts off quite decept deceptive. Here, here's what it says. The first step is this, is you become disillusioned with the things of the Lord. All of a sudden, you're skipping church on Sunday. You skip one, you skip two, and then you haven't gone in a month. You're like not feeling your small group. Next steps is this Sunday. You planned on being there, but oh, just not gonna go. You become disillusioned with the things of the Lord. So now all of a sudden, you're not spending your time in God's presence through reading your word, through, through spending time with God in prayer, practicing your spiritual disciplines. They go out the window. Other things become more exciting or enticing than, than, than the things of the Lord. And so you're, you're disillusioned. The, the second step is this, is that you become defensive about your disillusionment. Now you're angry when people begin to ask you, hey, how are you doing with Jesus? How's your walk with Jesus going? And then you become a little bit bitter because people want to talk to you about Jesus, but you know you're not right with him. And so now you become defensive about it. 
You start tweeting things on Twitter and making posts and following different accounts on Instagram and you're watching videos on, on YouTube giving you justification as why you're okay being bitter at the Lord and at the church. You're feeding into that selfishness, into that flesh. And now all of a sudden you're disillusioned and then when people reach out to you to try to love you, you get defensive about it. Which leads to the, to the third point. After you get defensive, you begin to distance yourself from your faith community. So now when your small group calls, you're like, ignore, leave on red. Now you start dipping on them. When your serve team comes, you don't even decline. You just ignore it on Sunday mornings. And then you begin to distance yourself. So when your friends are worried about you, they're calling you saying, hey, I haven't seen you. Hey, how are you doing? You're not answering the phone. You're ignoring them. Or maybe when you get the church card that we send out, if you miss two or three weeks and you get upset, you read that card and you're like, hey, we miss you. You're like, whatever. And you throw the card in the trash because you don't want to hear it. You don't want to listen to it. You begin to distance yourself. If I were to say where we're at in our cultural moment, this is where we're at on the path of deconstruction. Right. Is that people have become disillusioned. They become disinterested. And now they're defensive about the, their disinterest about the things of the Lord. This should be an early warning sign. This is like in your car when the, alarm, when, the, when the check engine light goes off. If you see this in your heart, it's time for you to pull over, bring it into a mechanic, pop the hood, and get down in that engine and see what's going on in your heart. So that way you can get your heart right, and then you can get back on the Jesus road, and you can keep moving forward and making difference. But if you don't pull over, if you don't stop, what's going to happen? You're going to blow the engine. This is where I would say we're at when it comes to the conversation of deconstruction. And when we jump from point three to point four, that's where deconstruction is no longer healthy, but it becomes negative. And that's where deconstruction begins to lead to deconversion. Because you're distanced and isolated, like a, like a lion who gets its prey where it wants it. You ever watch the, 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 the Discovery Channel? Whenever the lion gets a gazelle away from the pack, what happens? Yeah. It pounces and it kills its prey. Well, the Bible tells us that Satan is like a roaring lion going around to see whom he can devour. And the moment that you go from three to four is the moment that Satan begins to devour you. Because what's the fourth point? You begin to doubt the truth of the scripture. The moment that the Bible becomes suspect, anything becomes possible in your life. Did God really say, you believe the first lie the serpents heard told Eve, what is that? Did God really say, now you're doubting the truth and the authority of scripture. You no longer have an authority over you, but now you believe you're an authority over the scriptures. And you start interpreting your, the scriptures by your experiences rather than interpreting your experiences by the scriptures. The whole generation is like, well, I just don't think God really. You went to junior college and you want to tell God what to think? Like, I just come to the conclusion this, is that if, if I disagree with the Bible, I'm the one who's wrong. <laughs> and so instead of trying to get God to change his words, I think God is trying to change my mind. When you disagree with the, the scriptures, if you doubt the truth of the scriptures and the authority of God's word, everything else goes out the window and anything you want to do becomes possible. Because the next step is this, you begin to depart from orthodox Christianity. Now, Jesus isn't the only way. There's other religions out there. They all basically teach the same thing. Maybe take a little Jesus, take a little Buddha, take a little Islam, maybe a little paganism. Let's put a, you know, a crystal around my neck and let's pray to the chakras and 
all these different things, and you begin to incorporate other religions within your faith. You begin to question and to, to doubt. Like maybe we should redefine marriage. The last 2,000 years, you know, we should try to change things a little bit. Listen, I know the creator of marriage, and he's okay with the design. Okay, and so many people are trying to reinterpret not only the scriptures, but they're trying to redefine how we apply it to our lives. And then they begin to depart from orthodox Christianity, which leads to point number six, eventually they depart from the faith altogether. Do you see how subtle this is? What started as me going on a journey to try to figure out what I truly believe ends up at a final destination of me not believing at all. It goes from deconstruction to deconversion. And I know a lot of you maybe find yourself in this place right now. Some of you, you're hearing this and you're like, yeah, that's my journey. Which point are you on? Are you at point number one, two, three? Point number six? I want to say I'm so glad you're here today. Thank you so much for coming to church today. Hopefully I'm able to help you. And for those of you who are not really tracking with what I'm saying, and you say, this doesn't apply to me. It applies to your kids. It applies to your grandkids. And it applies to the dozens, if not hundreds, of people who call Redemption Home who are struggling and doubting when it comes to the Christian faith. Because you know what? If you're deconstructing, listen, here's what I want you to know. You want to grow. Because you wouldn't be here right now if you didn't. You want to grow. But right now, the question is not the want to. What's the question? The question is, how do I remain in Jesus? Well, let me give you some ways that we can do that. The first way is this, is to read God's word daily. If you're struggling with lies, how do you overcome lies? with the truth. And so if you're deconstructing and you're wrestling, can you, here's a suggestion. Turn off social media and open up your Bible and spend time in God's word rather than listening to the lies that come from the world because you know that social media is really only feeding the bitterness and hurt that's inside of you and giving you justification for the state of your being right now. So turn off social media. Get off Twitter, get off Instagram, and get alone with God and open up your Bible and read God's word daily. The second thing is to to pray constantly. When you're doubting, you know who you need to spend time with? Talking to God about those doubts. Did you know God's big enough for your pain? Did you know that God's big enough for your doubts? God's big enough for your struggles and troubles. God's big enough for your confusion. God is big enough for you to even tell him you're mad at him. It's true. There's entire books of the Bible, Psalms, Ecclesiastes, Lamentations, Job. What is it? Nothing but great men of the faith who are wrestling with God and they do not turn from him, but they run to him and they spend time with God in his presence. Pray constantly. Number three, attend church regularly. The dangerous thing about missing church is the more you miss it, the less you miss it. You notice that? The more you miss church, the less you miss church. You get out of the habit, and all of a sudden, it's not even a thought in your mind. And I know right now some of you are thinking, yeah, but the reason I'm deconstructing is because of an experience that I had in the church. Listen, I get it. I understand it because I have experienced church hurt, and I will let you know that as a pastor over the last 10 years, I have actually wounded and hurt others myself. 
I have been a part of systems in churches that have wounded people. And for that, I repent and I apologize and I take ownership of my own responsibility in that. And I'm working out trying to figure out what I can do to be healthier and better and a better pastor every single week. And so I know I'm not perfect either. But let me reframe the conversation just a little bit. The other day, me and my wife, Ashley, we went out to eat and we had terrible service. It was horrible. And you know what? When we got up and we left, we swore we were never going to go out to eat again. <laughs> no, that's not what we said. You know what we said? We're just going to go eat somewhere else next time. Right, right. And so if you've been hurt by the church, listen, I am so sorry, but don't give up on the church. Just go find a better church. Just get plugged into a church that is healthy, that is loving, that is kind, that is welcoming. Get plugged into a church that they're going to bring you back to life, preach the good news of Jesus over you, and help you become the person God's created you to be. Don't give up on church. Just find a better one. Number four, live in community. The only thing that's worse than suffering, you ready, is suffering alone. My prayer is that redemption in our small groups that we would be a place to where if you are questioning your faith, you can say, you know what? I'm struggling with this. And then instead of people around you judging you, here's what they'll do. They'll affirm you. They'll say, you know what? I understand that. Tell me your story. Tell me what you're walking through. How do you feel? And they'll listen to your heart, and then they'll begin to point you back to Jesus. So that way you don't have to struggle and doubt and go through things by yourself. Live in community. Number six, serve passionately. So many people want to be a part of something that's bigger than themselves. They want to give themselves to a cause. And I may be crazy, and maybe I'm one of the few left in America that actually believes the greatest cause is Christ. I am so passionate behind the local church. Why? Because there is no plan B the church is the hope of the world. Jesus gave us the church. And if all you do is get bit bitter at the church, then how are we ever going to get better as a church? And so live in community and give yourself something that is greater than yourself. Serve passionately. Number six, repent immediately. What does repentance mean? Greek word, metanoia, means to change your direction. Where are you at on the deconstruction, discipleship pathway? Wherever you're at, stop. Repent and change your direction. Say, I'm not going to turn my back on Jesus. Instead, I'm going to trust in him. I'm going to believe in him. I'm going to go to him. I'm going to run to him. I'm going to hold on to him. I'm going to behold him. And though this might be hard, I am going to trust and believe and give myself to him. Jesus, I have received you. Now I choose to remain in you. But you know, deconstruction is not anything new. I love the quote that says, there are no new lies there are only old lies with better marketing. Church has been dealing with deconstruction for thousands of years. My Nana just called it backsliding. But in the 1700s, there was a man who was dealing with his own deconstruction. And out of it, he wrote one of the most beautiful songs that we still sing as a church. It's called Come Thou Fount. Do you know the song, Come Thou Fount? I would sing it to you, but I want you to come back next week. 
But in it, there's this line that says this. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Maybe you're here and that's you. Your heart is prone to wander. God, I feel it. I'm prone to leave the God I love. What do you do with that when you're feeling that emotion? Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. What does he say to do? Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thine courts above. What is that? That is a man saying, I have received Jesus. And though I am hurting and doubting and questioning, I am making this decision to remain in Jesus. Where are you at on your journey with Christ? Where are you at in this pathway? My hope is this, is that a redemption church, wherever you're at on your journey, whether through discipleship or discipleship, we would be able to point you to Jesus so that way you can be rooted, you can be built up, you can be established and firm in your faith and to where after you come through that journey on the other side, you can do what Paul says in verse six, you can abound in thanksgiving and rejoice in Jesus as well. Which leads to point number three as we close. What do you do as you remember Jesus? You've received Jesus. You're choosing to remain in Jesus. And lastly, number three, you remember Jesus. Here's how he closes. In him also you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, which are also raised with him through faith in a powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. He set aside, nailing it to the cross, He disarmed rulers and authorities and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. How do we grow in our faith? Step one is we receive Jesus. Step two is we remain in Jesus. And step three is we remember Jesus. One of my favorite quotes comes from Martin Luther. And when asked, why do you preach the gospel so much? Why do you always talk about the cross and the death, burial, and resurrection? Why do you preach the message of sin and forgiveness of sin so often? Isn't there other things that we could talk about? Luther said no, and here's how he responded. He said, we need to be reminded of the gospel daily because we forget so easily. What is one of the reasons people don't grow in their faith? I think one of the reasons is because they get too busy. They don't stop, they don't slow down, and they don't reflect on what Jesus has done or how far they've already come. Look at the language that Paul's using in this section. Everything he says is past tense. You were, you have been raised in Christ. Look at the language. Everything he says is past tense. Do you know why? Because he's reminding you of who you are in Christ. One of the reasons people don't grow is because they forget. They forget who they are. And they forget what Christ has already done for them. The reason why we preach Jesus 
every single week here at Redemption. You know why? Because you had a busy, crazy, hectic week and you need to be reminded of what Jesus has done for you. So let's just do this for a moment. Let's just close our eyes and let's just remember who we were when Jesus stepped in our lives and he met us. Let's think about this for a sec. Who were you before Jesus? Maybe you were angry. Maybe you were wounded as a small child and you have a father wound in your heart. Maybe you were a bitter person. Maybe you had an addiction, alcohol, pornography, drugs, sex. Maybe you came to Jesus because you were a single mom and you were struggling. Maybe you came to Jesus because you suffered from the worst sin of all, pride, thinking you didn't have anything wrong with you. Where were you? Who were you? I want you to remember back to the moment in the day that you met Jesus. Here's my day. 16 years ago, I got invited to church by a cute girl. She had no business dating or talking to me. And I said I would go with her only to get her to leave me alone. I thought it was just a phase. She'll go to church one time and we'll never go back again and she'll think I'm a good person because I went to church one time. Ladies, that's the guy's trick, just so you know. So if they say, oh yeah, babe, I'll go to church with you, that's a trick. (laughs) But at that moment, God captured my heart. Pastor said with every head bowed and every eye closed, I didn't like the sermon, I didn't like the music, I didn't like the coffee. But when he said, at the count of three, raise your hand. Boom, my hand went up. (gasps) What happened? The Holy Spirit moved in my heart. They opened the altars, I went down front, I got on my knees and I gave my life to Jesus. And since that day, my life has changed forever. Eventually I married that girl and we started Redemption Church here in downtown Beaumont. Who were you when you met Jesus? This is what Jesus did. He says, circumcised. What is that? That is the removing of the flesh by the shedding of blood. It's a sign of a covenant. It's a relationship. In the Old Testament, this is how they would identify themselves as believers. And through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, the shed blood of Jesus, you've been brought into a covenant relationship with him. And then he talks about being raised to life through baptism. What is that? identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Your old is gone and the new has come. You are a new creation now in Christ Jesus. That's not what you did. That's who you are. And then he talks about this new life with him. I want you to think. Imagine your baptism day one more time. Go back to the day you were baptized. Do you remember that feeling? Do you remember that excitement? You told all of your friends, hey, come to church, I'm getting baptized this week. And you wanted your friends so bad to come see you get baptized because maybe they would believe too. And you stepped in that water and you were so bold as you went under and you came up, you threw your hands in the air and you said, Jesus! And everybody clapped and cheered for you. Do you remember what it was like to be passionate on fire for God? Do you remember that excitement that you had? Do you still have that same excitement?
Well, you can. You don't have to lose that. It's available for you because you have received Jesus. You're remaining in Jesus. But if you want to grow, you need to remember Jesus too. And here's the last line I'll say as we open our eyes and we get ready to respond. The only time you should ever look back is to see how far you've come. You've come a long way. I've known some of y'all for quite some time. Y'all come a long way. Sure, there's some room to grow, but we never run out of next steps when we're walking with Jesus. But instead of judging yourself by how far you gotta go, look back and see how much you've already grown. And remember what Jesus has done for you. The way forward is sometimes by stopping and looking back and remembering what Christ has done for you. So if you wanna grow, I discovered most people want to grow. Never really met a Christian that said, I don't want to. It's the how-to that they struggle with. And so if you're here, and you wouldn't be here if you didn't want to grow. But can I tell you how to grow? Number one, what do we do? We receive Jesus. Number two, we remain in Jesus. And number three, we remember Jesus. And that's how we grow in our faith. So I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond. I'm going to give all three at the same time, because as a church, we're working on pastoral care. And so you're going to get a text from someone in the church this week to be able to reach out and to help you wherever you're at in your faith journey. If you're making a decision today to, to receive Jesus, you're going to get a text. If you're going to remain in Jesus, you're going to get a text. And if you're here and you need to remember Jesus, you're going to get a text. So I'm going to throw the number up on the screen right now. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, when I count to three, no matter who you are and where you're at on your faith journey, you're going to raise your hand, okay? And then you're going to text this number. And so if you're here today and you want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you say, today is the day. The old is gone, the new has come. I am giving my life to Jesus. In a moment, you're going to raise your hand. If you're here today and you want to remain in Jesus, you're doubting and struggling in your faith, maybe you're far away from God, but you know better and you were raised in the church and today's the day you recommit yourself and decide I'm going to remain in Jesus. When I count to three, you're going to raise your hand and maybe you're here and you've just forgotten. You need to remember Jesus. You've gotten so busy and so distracted. You've lost your passion. You've lost your drive. You've lost your motivation and you want that back in your life. When I count to three, every hand up will go up in the air at the same time. One, receive Jesus. Two, remain in Jesus. Three, I want to remember Jesus today. Thank you. Hands up all over the place. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Let's give it up. Let's give it up as a church. Come on. Praise God. Praise Jesus today. Amen.